welcome to week 26 of 60 Weeks, 60 Books. I've been looking forward to this week for some time, as it is the turn of a writer who has enthralled me for decades. On rereading the novel I eventually chose to focus on, I found myself deserting social media and sticking to the Kindle as I chomped up once again the ringed castle, the fifth in Dorothy Dunnett's Lymond Chronicles. It was almost impossible to choose which of Dorothy Dunnett's 21 novels to discuss, and I will go back and reread the whole of the Chronicles once again next year, with King Hereafter thrown in for good measure, once I finish the rereading required by this particular podcast. I can hardly wait. Dunnett first crossed my horizons when I was around 17 or 18. One holiday, when I was staying in Washington with my father, I was invited to supper by a friend of my mother's. Tara was an academic working on Fanny Burney and Jane Austen at George Washington University. I had by then come to my senses and was studying A-level English literature and intending to read English at university, so it was a great opportunity to meet Tara. I remember a lovely warm evening of talking about books rounded off by Tara's urging me to read Dorothy Dunnett. If you love historical fiction, she said, you have to read the Lyman books. They are absolutely incredible. The suggestion was parked. I forgot about Dorothy Dunnett for six or seven years until I was working as an editorial assistant at a book selling venture called The Good Book Guide. The guide was a beautiful full colour catalogue offering a selection of books to expats in exotic locations, a sort of Amazon avant la lettre. The mailing list was extensive, including many diplomats and families in outposts of big international companies like Shell and Unilever. The best part of this job, especially to a child brought up at boarding school accustomed to seeing other people getting lots of post and parcels, was opening up the packages sent out by publishers with new books and proof copies. One day I opened up a Michael Joseph Penguin package and out popped a paperback with a gorgeous cover and a hardback with an even more glorious cover. The paperback was Niccolo Rising and the hardback was Spring of the Ram, both by Dorothy Dunnett, the first two novels in a new series set in the 15th century. I had to send them off to our official reviewer of historical fiction, but through the live bookshop downstairs, I bought both, reading them fast and passing them on to my mother, who also raced through them. I changed jobs that autumn to the Department for In-House Publications for Lloyd's Register of Shipping, a huge classification agency. It was completely different to the guide, which was a small family business. LR had thousands of employees, an enormous building in Fenchurch Street with a classic late Victorian facade, and in the basement, a vast canteen serving solid nursery fare, cottage pie, peas, roasts and sponge puddings, appropriate for the engineers and maritime experts who were, theoretically, clambering all over ships and industrial constructions, although perhaps less appropriate for office workers clambering from the garage where they parked their cars to their desks. LR was a paternalistic patriarchal place in the mid-1980s. The publications department where I worked was regarded as a necessary evil and I spent my time providing hatch, match and dispatch material for the staff newspaper along with profiles of the surveyors based around the world whose pastimes included the predictable train sets in the attic to the more exotic reindeer racing. 
Nowadays, there are hipster cafes at every corner, but in those days, the area around Fenchurch Street and Aldgate offered few and mostly expensive alternatives to the LR free lunch. So I would go down into the bowels of the building for my daily ration of puddings, pies and peas accompanied by a book. After reading the two available Niccolo books, I was hooked by the Dunnett style, of which more shortly. And I remember Tara's words. So I hopped off to the bookshop in Leadenhall Market and found there the six volumes of the Lyman Chronicles. Game of Kings, Queen's Play, The Disorderly Knights, Pawn in Frankincense, The Ringed Castle and Checkmate. And I was utterly immersed for months in this extraordinary world. I could hardly wait for lunch for that precious 55 minutes of reading. And when I got home, I carried on where I had left off, existing fully and only in the 16th century. The sequence begins in 1547 and lasts just over 10 years. Chess, as the titles suggest, is a key motif throughout the novels with a vital role in several of the major plot strands. The book's take the reader from palaces and castles in Scotland to the luxurious courts of Henry II, uh, Henri II of France, Suleiman the Magnificent of the Ottoman Empire and the barbaric regime of Ivan the Terrible in Russia. Lymond, a completely fictional character, is inserted into the midst of conspiracies, machinations and manoeuvrings for power, wealth and control. Lyman is aristocratic and capable. As a younger brother, he must make his own way in the world and becomes essentially a condottieri, the leader of a mercenary band. Sensitive, secretive and seductive, he is followed by the unforeseen consequences of his actions and the last two books of the sequence, The Ringed Castle and Checkmate, explore the ramifications of earlier choices and decisions, eventually exposing his deepest secrets. The Ringed Castle is my favourite of the sequence for several reasons. There are parallel settings, the tense febrile court of Mary Tudor in England and the dangerous world of a rising Russia governed by a volatile young Tsar, the increasingly confident and adventurous urban world of English merchants funding explorations to the new world and into the frozen wastes of the Baltic Sea. I loved Dunnett's descriptions of Russia, of snow, of the Northern Lights, and her contrasting depictions of London on the brink of expansion and economic growth, a city packed with activity and development. Then there are the characters. For starters, Lyman's small band of six experts, both at fighting and with additional gifts. Adam Blacklock, the draftsman, Lancelot Plummer, an architect, Fergie Hodim with legal training, Alec Guthrie's blend of strategic and tactical planning, and two new characters, Danny Hislop, a financial whiz and sardonic commentator, along with Ludo Darcourt, physician and former Knight of St John. We also follow Philippa Somerville, a young woman married to Lyman to preserve her good name after the year she has spent in the Seraglio of Suleiman and her journey to adulthood. There are poignant, real-life individuals, markedly a man initially suspicious of Lyman, the real-life navigator and explorer Richard Chancellor. Throughout, there is Dunnett's rich style possibly indigestible to some readers, but utterly compelling for me. 
Her writing, her writing is laden with metaphor, with a vivid sense of scent, sound and colour. It is also ironic, sardonic, full of musical verve and energy, wit and sensitivity. Before becoming a writer, Dunnett was a professional portrait painter. Most of her work was privately commissioned and remains in private hands. But the few portraits on display or available on the internet are in what I think of as a quite strikingly 1950s, 1960s style, reminiscent of Shirley Hughes, the wonderful children's illustrator and creator of Alfie, with a touch of the classic swagger portrait of John Singer Sargent. Her experience as a professional artist filters into her writing, both of landscape and of individuals. With layer on layer of knowledge and detail, she builds images of the places and people she depicts that engage the reader hugely. The exotic home created by Guzel, also known as Chia Khatun, the Greco-Italian courtesan who conveys Lyman to Russia and becomes his lover. The snowy vastness of northern Russia, where Chancellor and Lyman are involved in lethal reindeer races. The elegance of the home of Henry and Mary Sidney, where Philippa finds a sanctuary from the machinations of the court of Mary Tudor. A standout scene is the voyage that Lyman and Chancellor make from Russia, which ends in a devastatingly depicted shipwreck on the Scottish coast. Dunnett was a meticulous researcher. In addition to wide reading of historical accounts of her periods, whether 10th century Orkney or 15th and 16th century Europe, Africa and Russia, Dunnett was also familiar with all the contemporary texts that her characters would have known. She was not simply erudite and widely read. She herself clearly had an acute ability to engage with classical writers and thinkers, from the Greek and Roman philosophers and playwrights such as Aristotle, Seneca and Cicero, that would have been the staple of her character's schooling, but also the contemporary poets and authors who were producing their work at the time that her characters were active. This is particularly true of The Ringed Castle. In the book, at one stage, Philippa Somerville stays at Midcoulter, Lyman's childhood home, and discovers in his room an extensive library of manuscripts and books. She reads them herself, initially as a guide to her mysterious and elusive husband's convoluted mind, and then because she experiences an intellectual awakening of the sort denied at the time to all but the most privileged of women. Through reading and through her exposure to the court of Mary Tudor, Philippa experiences what Dunnett describes as a dizzying apprenticeship and understands that life can be lived at the level on which whole communities could be steered or reshaped, improved or jeopardised by a handful of people. And the fascination of that, she was now aware, surpassed anything else one could imagine. Although I thoroughly enjoyed the Niccolo series, the eight final books of Dunnett's oeuvre, the books I have read and reread have been the Lyman Chronicles. Game of Kings introduces us to Lyman and his fraught relationships with both his family and his native land. He is a patriot, but traduced and betrayed, he is regarded as an outlaw and must fight to restore his name and to engage with his brother Richard. In Queen's play, he is transported in disguise to Blois, where Henry II, Henri II, has his court for a time. 
where Lyman races across the rooftops of the town with other foolish young men and forms a liaison with an Irish courtesan, which ultimately proves highly consequential. In the third instalment of the series, the story takes place in Scotland and Malta, and the action is established for the incredible cat-and-mouse chase between Lyman and his arch-nemesis Gabriel Reed Mallet that unfolds around the Mediterranean and in Istanbul. Following the terrible climax of Porn and Frankincense, when Lyman is forced to make a key choice between two children, the snowy wastes of northern Russia in the ringed castle are an extended metaphor for Lyman's own frozen soul. And then he gradually, steadily thaws and begins to rediscover himself and finally his true soulmate. The final novel in the sequence, Checkmate, brings Lyman's story to a deeply satisfying and dramatic climax. On my first read, it felt as though I were diving deeper and deeper into a complex and fascinating world much richer than the drab routines of office life. At the time, I was also cycling into work, listening to wonderful music on my Walkman, and Sibelius's Karelia Suite, for some reason, became indelibly linked with me, with Lyman, and the extraordinary events which he both initiates and responds to. He was the perfect hero, even when he was being rude and aggravating and deliberately provocative. Now on this reread, I have found The Ringed Castle as compelling as ever, as immersive and absorbing. This is my first read of it on a Kindle, and it has been just as magnetic and unputdownable as ever, entirely trumping the enticements of social media and doom scrolling that often usurp the act of proper reading. Dunnett is not for everyone. Her prose style can be too rich and dense for some. She is at times deliberately opaque. But for me, her magic is strong and remains so, 36 years after first losing myself in the story of Francis Crawford of Lyman. Join me next week for another journey into the memory banks. (laughs) 